you for downloading this podcast from Victory Outreach Manchester. We pray that this message will bless your life as you listen. Some stuff amongst us. But it's been a crazy week. It's been a week where the whole nation of the UK or the nations of the UK and the Commonwealth and even the world have kind of been, uh, been turned upside down a little bit by the, the death of the Queen. And I've been thinking a lot about life recently. You know, sometimes we try not to think about death because it's a horrible thing to think about. And even Jesus hated death. You know, you see in John when Lazarus died, Jesus wept, the Bible says. Smallest, shortest scripture in the Bible, Jesus wept. And uh, death is absence. Death is not the opposition of life or the opponent of life. It's the absence of life. And there's an absence. There's a loss. There's something missing, right, when things die. And sometimes we don't like to look at that and we avoid it and we try to, you know, even people's, people are saying that she hasn't died, she's passed. People talk about people passing over or passing away. Or, but death is something we need to understand because of its impact and the loss that it brings. And we've been seeing it more than probably we've seen it for a long time, if ever, and been forced to face this thing called death, right? Because everything's talking about the death of the queen. We're even dressed in black, you know, those of us on team, in, in, in honour of what's taking place. We did it last week, we're doing it today. Next week, we're going to have a colourful weekend. Hallelujah. Next, next Sunday, it's Dress Colourful Weekend. Right? Dress Colourful Sunday. Come in colourful clothes. Be happy and joyful. Amen. We're going to have a dress-down Sunday, come in happy, colourful clothes. So you heard it here first. But in honour of the Queen and her death, then we're, we're, we're honouring we're honoring her in, in this fashion. But people have been talking about it, and they've been talking about her, they've been talking about who she was in her life. And I've been thinking a lot about life. It's, it's caused me to think a lot about life. You know, when you're confronted with death, and, and, and stark death as well. You know, it's the images of, of black and mourning and all of the things around it. I don't know about you, but it starts me wanting to think more a little bit, a little bit more about life. Because death's final for many people. There's no chance after that. Amen? For those of us that belong to Christ, death is not the end. It's just a doorway to a new beginning. And an even better one at that. But you still have to think about life. And, and also, not only have I been thinking about life, I've been thinking about, you know, there's this phrase, living your best life. Your best life. Not West life. Because that ain't the best life. <laughs> but living your best life. And what does it actually mean? And I keep coming back to the conclusion that living your best life is about living for the reason you were created. Everyone's got purpose. Everyone's unique. Everyone's individual. But there's a, a reason for every single one of us to be created. If you read the, the letter to the Ephesian church in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, in verse 8 and 9, it talks about how we get saved by grace through faith, not by works. There's nothing you can do to get yourself in God, God's good books except believe, right? 
It's just about believing. And then it says in verse 10, it says, you are God's masterpiece. I love that translation. In some it says, you are God's workmanship. But it says, I like the one, you are God's masterpiece. And when you look around, all of you are masterpieces. Some of you are, are, are Picassos, hallelujah. <laughs> An ear there and a nose there. A bit abstract. <laughs> but we're workmanship of God. We're created by God. That We're a masterpiece, an intricate masterpiece. From the moment of our conception, we take on the image of God. You don't take on the image of God when you start to look like a human and start to take your first breath or have your first thought. You take on the image of God from the moment of conception because the image of God is not a function. It's something that is conferred to you by God's will, right? You're going you're gonna to represent him on the earth. And living on purpose, for your purpose, is probably the best life you can ever live. I've been thinking a lot about this stuff. Especially when you consider all the events surrounding the queen. Because it seems that she lived the best life she could live. You know, we, 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 we're hearing a lot about her duty. We're hearing a lot about how she served. And, and she did. I also, myself and Vicky, was watching something last night where it showed her she, she had a love for racehorsing, racehorses and, and racing. She loved it. And it said that her eyes would light up and she looked like a little girl, you know what I mean, when she was, when she was in that. So she had fun. She, she knew how to live. But all the tributes, and there's been tributes from everyone all over the place. I think even Putin gave a tribute to the Queen. And all the tributes seem very honest. And a lot of them comment about her faith in Christ. You have to understand, you know, I mean, let's face it, you know, if, if everyone, millions of people were saying, God save our gracious pastor, God save our gracious teacher, you know, God save our gracious neighbor, millions of people, then obviously you would hope that the teacher, the neighbor, and the pastor are saved. Amen. So God save our gracious queen, you're hoping that at some, po at some point, some of those things have kind of connected. But she seemed to have a definite, real, authentic faith in Christ. And it's also amazing how people have come together to honour and remember her life and death from everywhere. I mean, you see the lines in London, people queuing for 17 hours to walk past for a couple of seconds looking at her casket. Millions of people have been impacted by her life and death. And I think that when you understand what it means to, to, to live your best life, you can see that the indication is the impact that it leaves behind, right? And whether people are monarchists or republicans, whether they like it or don't like it about the monarchy, whatever, the fact is her life left a positive impact on the world around her. The definition of societies thinking of your best life, actually worships at the altar of achievement and success. I read that line somewhere. And that's what society around us, the world or society, it, it, it means by living your best life. It means that you, you should be successful in 
in its eyes. You, you should achieve things that it wants you to achieve, right? And it, it, it all has to, to look the same. And we usually evaluate and honor people not by the attitude and the character of their hearts, but by the home that they live in. I don't know about you, I get bombarded on, on social media by gardens. Gardens. You know how social media is very intrusive these days. How many of you have had a conversation with someone in the kitchen and then you go on Instagram or Facebook and all of a sudden the thing that you were speaking about, you've got 50 adverts. Right? Oh, I fancy some beans on toast. The next thing, there's like 50 adverts for beans. I'm sure me and Vicky were talking about our garden, wanting to do something in our garden. The next thing, every reel, every Instagram thing, every Facebook thing is about someone's garden. And it's like, it's like you know, it's a garden that was created by elves. It's one of them gardens. But we look at someone's home. We take pride in it. And we should take pride in it. But to evaluate people by where they live or the house they live or how many bedrooms they've got, their garden or their car. Well, he's a success. He's got a lovely motor. Vicky's got a lovely motor, but it's because she's disabled. Amen? She gets a special allowance because she's disabled, because she has a metal leg. So you can't evaluate people based upon what they have. Look at the clothes people wear. How many of you have been out You've gone out down to Trafford Centre. You don't go out looking rough, do you? You put your best togs on, man. You go down there, don't you? You walk around. Because really and truly, you want people to think that you've got it going on. Come on, somebody. And you see people, and I've lived this life. I come from the East End. And in the East End, everyone, you know, at least my, 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 the people I used to run with, everyone used to wear designer clothes, you know what I mean? We'd all be out on the street, going to clubs and all that, all done in our designer clothes. We were wearing Stone Island when no one else knew Stone Island. I was a junkie wearing Armani. Come on, somebody, thinking I was looking good. And really, I was just a junkie in a nice, expensive suit. But you can see people dripping in designer brands. They've got a brand on their arm. They've got a brand on their chest. They should have a brand on their head. Right? Louis Bag. You know, Jordan 4s or Jordan 1s. <laughs> Rolex has got more than one. You know, all that stuff. Amen. Don't forget, hashtag Save Dave. <laughs> Keep praying. Save Dave. Save Dave. Hashtag Save Dave. I want Dave to do a gospel rap album. Come on, somebody. Right? And you're there dripping in, dripping in everything. Look what you're going on. Big gold chains. And then they go back to a one-bedroom terrace. That belongs to their mum. <laughs> and they got the box room. Hello. I've known rich people. I've known rich people, like rich people. I've known people that are even royal. And they don't look like they've got anything going on. They look like tramps. Some of them, they do, you see them, they've all got old woolly jumpers and old cords and that. Right? They don't look like nothing. But we honour some of the craziest stuff. And we think that people that have got these things are living their best life. Huh? 
The salary, whoa, you know, six-figure salary. Yeah, but in this country, the tax is so mental that you, you don't hardly bring nothing back anyway. You get taxed 50%, whatever, right? If you're part of the system, what about the, how many holidays they have? Some people are always on holiday, aren't they? They're always, where are you? I'm on vacation. Where are you? Five-star vacation. They come back, they're brown like a piece of old oak. Huh? I know there's been a mad thing, you know, a lot of stuff about racism and Black Lives Matter, but listen, white privilege doesn't include getting tanned. We have to pay for that. Can I say that? Can I say that without getting into trouble? We have to pay money, man. But other than that, there's, a, there's, there's stuff that goes on, we understand. But what about the power that you have? The people that respond to you? We look at all that and we think that that is what means that you're living your best life. You've got power, you've got prestige, you've got position, you've got peas in the bank. And the Bible doesn't minimize success. The Bible talks about being excellent. Being the best that you can be. Living your best life. The Bible does talk about that. But if you don't have them things, it doesn't mean to say you haven't got faith. Because Jesus had nowhere to lay his head. Are you with me? The disciples were hunted from pillar to post. Paul had to go and work as a tent maker to make, make ends meet. Having stuff doesn't mean you're living your best life. Because what the Bible speaks about is your character above your success or your achievements. It speaks about who you really are on the inside rather than what you've got going on on the outside. Because sometimes the two don't match, they don't correlate. So I'm going to give you five things right now, five little keys to living your best life, things that I've learned. Is that all right? I'm going to get through this quick. Amen? Give me a high five if... You're ready to receive the five. Hallelujah. Five alive. Five about, five things to bring you alive. May you live your best life. Amen. High five. All right, I'm counting fingers here. I've been in places before, man, where they give you a high six. Five things about living your best life. Number one, key number one, love God. Love God. Jesus gives us a clear definition of the best life in Matthew chapter 22. And if you read from 34 to, to 39, and I'm not going to read it, but he goes into a, a, a conversation with the Pharisees. The Pharisees were a religious group in Israel that believed that they were the elite. They believed that they were the ones that had the last say on Scripture. You know, and there's a lot of religious people about. And they're, they're the sort of people that he says would cross an ocean to, 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 to condemn someone or to win an, a, a, an argument. And we have that today. You have people that would cross a, a, a city to win a theological argument, but they wouldn't cross the street to win a soul. There's a difference between thinking you're religious and actually living your best life in Christ. And the Pharisees kind of were like that. And they're in this conversation and they ask him, you know, about... What, what is the commandments, all about the commandments? Because the Pharisees, you know, they had these things called the 613 laws of the Tariag. There were all these different things that they had to do. 
They had to wear certain things, couldn't wear this, couldn't do that, couldn't do this on a Sabbath, couldn't do that, had to do this, da 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 da. Nightmare. Unbelievable. And Jesus says to him, The first and greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. Love God. And this is the beginning of living our best life because it's God glorifying. It places God at the center of everything. And the thing is this, check this out. Love is not just a feeling. Man, the amount of marriage counseling we do with people where they're at each other's throats because they don't feel the same about each other at the same time. Well, I feel this about you, I feel that, and I thought it was going to feel like this. We're like, love's an action. Not just a feeling. You remember that old song by Massive Attack? Love, love is a verb. Love is a doing word. Right? <laughs> You're going to go away and Google that later. And it will get into your nut, man. You won't be able to get it out. I listened to it the other day. It came on and I'm like, oh, God. Just... But it tells us what love is. Love is action. It ain't just a feeling. It's not just, oh, I feel love for that person. If love was just a feeling, then I would be in trouble in my house. Because I can tell my wife, I love you with all of my heart. And then I can just go and sit on the couch, read my book, watch the telly, have a bit of sport, eat some snacks. And she's like, she's hinting. Look at the grass. That sink's full. And I could turn around and say, yeah, I love you. You know I love you. What she wants is for me to prove I love her by getting up and mowing the grass. Washing up. Putting the bins out. Hello. Putting my arm around her. Taking her out for a date. Buying her a lovely trouser suit. Like I did last week. <laughs> love, love is over. <laughs> but when it comes to loving God, loving God is more than just saying I love God. It's more than just saying I prayed a prayer once when I was a kid. It's more than just saying I came to church once and I prayed a prayer and I love God. Loving God is about action. It's about putting Him first. It's about making Him the center of your life. It's about you live your life with Him at the center. That's loving God. That He is number one in your life. There is no one a greater. There is no name above His. There is no one that comes in the way. Loving God above all else is the only love that can ever satisfy the hunger in our hearts. Once you love God, then it makes sense of everything else because he responds. In fact, he was the one that caused you to love him in the first place. You know why? Because he loved first. For God so loved the world that he felt it, that he gave his only begotten son that whomever should believe in him would have everlasting life. 
He loved us and he acted upon it. So we, our love is just a response to his. And then as we love him and he loves us back more and then we're like, wow, and then we love him and he loves us back more and we're like, wow. That's how it works. Just as I love my wife and I show it to her through my actions and she loves me back. Hallelujah. Living for God's glory is the only glory we were designed to be able to handle well. You ever had a bit of glory, a bit of notoriety, right? You're the center of attention, ever? Anyone? All of a sudden it can go to your head, right? Amen? But when we love God and live for His glory... The reflection of that is something that we can handle because we know that he's first, not us. When people sin, sin came about because people tried to put themselves before God. That's what happened in the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve tried to put themselves in the place of God to make decisions about what was good and what was evil without God's instruction, without God's input. That's how it all began. We see that around us today. We see that with subjective truth, right? Subjective thinking. Where people can make up their own rules about what they believe, how they should live, what they should be, who they are, etc., etc. And that's great when it's subjective to you, but it comes unstuck when it comes up against someone else's subjective nature that's not yours. Then there's conflict. But loving God is the center of everything. Number two, second thing. Then you have to love others. You're like, wait a minute, where, where do I come into this? This is about living my best life. And all of us, you haven't even men mentioned me yet. No. Because you need to get these things in place. You love God. And then he says in his same discussion with the Pharisees in Matthew, Jesus tells us the second greatest commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor. Who is my neighbor? Whoever it is that you come into contact with, Right? That might have a need for you and your interaction. Jesus talks about the, the, the uh, Good Samaritan and about how, you know, a priest went by, a Levite went by, the religious people went by, even the Christians can go by and walk on by somewhere. There's another song there, I'm not going to sing it. <laughs> Amen. But it goes something like, Walk on by. Do, do, do. I don't know why I'm singing today, man. You, it's like a musical, musical thing today. But how many of you have done that? But then the Samaritan, the despised enemy of the peoples of God, came upon this dude and saw that he was messed up and picked him up and helped him out and paid for it. Margaret Thatcher, whatever you think about her, once said, the good Samaritan story might not have been so good if the Samaritan didn't have enough money to do with what he needed to do. So there was action once again. And it was his neighbor. Who's your neighbor? Whoever you come across that might need you. John reminds us in his epistle, 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 through 21, it says, Love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. See, once again, it's an action. It's not just a vertical action, it's also a horizontal action. So that we're then doing what it is. 
that God wants us to do, which is love him, receive his love, and then spread it out to people around us. If you want to know what the real test for living your best God-glorifying life right here, right now is, don't look at your theological knowledge. Don't look at your biblical literacy. You might know, you know all of the books in, in, in order in the Bible. Some of you don't even know that because you ain't got a Bible. I'm not saying you haven't got a Bible, but your Bible is on your iPhone. You can just tap in where it is and it comes up automatically. Back in my day when we were learning, we had to learn where the books were in order in a real Bible. Otherwise, you were there looking stupid, fumbling for the book of Leviticus. Is it New Testament? Where's Malachi? Right? Find Philemon for me right now. Someone's doing it. Hallelujah. <laughs> but it's not about that. You want, you, you, you want to know what a real test for living a God-glorifying, authentic life is? It's not even your church involvement. Although, let's face it, since the pandemic, people's church involvement has, how can we say it, got less. It's almost like people have backslid a little bit. You know, they're, they're, still, they're still going forward, but they're, they're doing the Michael Jackson, you know what I mean? They're facing the right direction, but they've gone from coming to church every week to, eh, you know what? I've got, to have a, I've got to have a week off a month. I've got to have two weeks off a month. And we know that society gets in the way with jobs and work and shifts and all the rest of it. But even that doesn't even show. You could be coming to work every single, you could be coming to church every Sunday. You could be at every prayer meeting. You can be at every Bible study, you could be doing all that. But even that is not an indication, really, that you're living your best life. You know what you need to look at? You should examine the quality of your relationships. Especially in community and learning how to live and deal with other people. Because love God and love others. Some people do the first and they struggle with the second. Come on now. Some people love God, but they struggle with loving others. But that's an indication that you're actually living the life you were created to live. And number three, the third thing. Now we come on to you. Love God, love your neighbor as yourself. So number three. You have to be yourself and be for real. Don't pretend to be something or someone that you're not. Like the people that pretend they're rich when really they're poor. Come on now. How much is that you've got on? Well, the jacket. 1,200. Shoes, 400. 400 they are. Jeans, yeah, top of the range, jeans, these, 200. Where do you live? The bedroom at my mum's house. <laughs> but how much is your bed worth? Oh, about 50 quid. Don't pretend to be something you're not, right? 
God and every, check this out. Grab a hold of this. Understand this. Ready? Understand this. Watch me. God and everyone around you really appreciate your authenticity. You know, I've won more people to Christ and been able to disciple more people to Christ by showing them my reality and the things I go through and my weaknesses and my struggles than by ever standing there telling them about the things that I know about God that I know more than them. Be yourself and be for real. There are lots of pretenders and fakes in life who try to live the life they think others want or expect. I had this thing, my friend who's a pastor, he stopped drinking. He stopped drinking, right? He was part of a Christian culture where people used to drink. Me and my wife don't drink, and one of the reasons why is because we were addicts, but not really, you know, that as much. That was 27 years ago for me, 22 years ago for Vicky. That's how long we've been clean. Hallelujah. You can praise the Lord for that. But we work with people that have drunk, drink and drug problems. And I don't want to be hypocritical by going to someone and saying, let me pray for you for your drink problem and then going away and having a leaders meeting in the pub. Right? That's not being authentic. But he stopped drinking. And... Uh, he started up this thing for sober leaders. Hundreds of, of, of people in Christianity have joined on it that started having, having trouble with, with drinking. Amazing. And I've been to things, I've been to events with Christian leaders where they're slurping down a bottle of wine. And they're preaching at a conference the next day. I'm like, what are you doing? But it became normal for a lot of people, but check this out. He said the amount of people that have struggled to get out of that culture. Why? Two things. And this, this can go for a lot of stuff, not just drinking. But mostly, you know, with drinking. Number one, it was culturally accepted. It's culturally accepted. I imagine he wouldn't have had the problems that he had if he'd stopped smoking weed. Because he wouldn't have told anyone anyway. Because it ain't culturally accepted. In some areas it is. But you know what I mean. But that's not even the biggest one. The biggest one is not just that it's culturally accepted. It's culturally expected. People want you to do certain things in certain ways. And they not only do they accept that that's how it is. But they expect that that's how you should be. And so if you don't fit into their carefully crafted mold then you are beyond the pale, then you are outside of the group. You're not in the circle of trust. And then people fake it to make it. The problem is, with faking it to make it, is that even when you make it, you're still a fake. You're not really you. You just do it because everyone else is doing it, and if I don't do it, then I'm not part of them. If that's the case, don't be part of them because they're the problem. Whatever it is, anyone that you're around, any community, any group, anything, 
that forces you to be unreal is unhealthy. That's why in church we say, come as you are. You still get lots of Christians coming in faking it though. Right? You just had a row with your spouse in the car. You want to kill each other. And then you walk in through the doors and one of our amazing VIP team welcomes you. Welcome to Victory Outreach. How are you doing? You go, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Come here, darling. How are you doing? We're doing amazing. Oh, glory to God. It's great to be in the house of the Lord. Because some of it is what we believe the expectation is going to be within our lives. Are you with me? People expect us to be like that when we come to church. It's like every doctor expecting you to be well when you go to hospital. <laughs> what are you here for? Nothing. I'm perfectly fine. Why have you been waiting for four hours for me to see you? I don't know. I just wanted to come out. Everyone expected me to come out. <laughs> Ridiculous. Listen, when you come to church, if you're down, come in and let your face be frowning. But don't leave the same way. It's okay to come in one way and leave another way. That's what happens when you come into the love of God and the love of people. Be yourself and be for real. Be authentic. Be truthful. You just need to look at who you really are and then look at making changes in the right direction so that you can become who you were created to become. The key is not to become someone on a pedestal that the world gives. The key is to become who you were created to become. That's where your life as a disciple really begins to take shape. Discipleship can only be followed by footprints, really, not just signposts. That's what discipleship's all about in, in, in church. It's about living and loving and learning together in community. Your behavior as a believer is not about following rules. It's about following Jesus. It's about following others who follow Jesus. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. It's about following their footsteps. Are you with me? Discipleship is about spiritual formation. So when you think about how to behave, don't trip out thinking you need to look like David or Joshua or Moses or Peter. God wants you to look like you. He created you to be you and his disciple. He wants you to be you. We look at their exampleship. We follow in people's footsteps who have gone before us. But at the end of the day, we don't want clones. Are you with me? We don't want clones. This ain't Star Wars. We want authentic, individual people that are loving God and loving each other. The truth is Jesus is your template. The thing is, if you're changing your outward behavior because someone's changing on the inside, then you're on the right track. Spherical growth. When the inside grows, the outside grows. Hallelujah. Just like a football, when you inflate it. That's how God wants you to grow. From inside out. Number four, there's a lot of stuff I'm skipping through. Number four, once you're authentic, 
Once you love God, you love others. You love yourself by being the real you. The fourth thing you have to do is, in action in life, is try to live in the opposite spirit. What does that mean? Well, it means that if someone's coming at you angry, you be calm. If someone's being selfish, you be selfless. We don't like that. It's alien to us to come in the opposite spirit. If the world around us is all about do you, do yourself, isolate. Don't worry about anyone else. You just think about yourself. You have to live your own life, do your own thing. Then we're living in the opposite spirit. We're saying, no, no, no. I'm living God's life. I'm following Jesus. I'm helping other people. In that, my needs get met. Because when I seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, everything that you chase after, I don't chase after it. It just comes to me. Because God knows what I need. Even the sparrows, He feeds them and He knows their names. And There's not a hair on your head that He doesn't know or number. He knows what you need. He knows what's going to get you where, it need, where you need to go. And when you're put in first and you start working for other people, it just releases this massive flow of blessing. Come in the opposite spirit. Galatians 5, 24 and 25 says, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to the cross, to his cross, and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. The world around us operates in a certain way and the people who buy into it will behave in a certain way. So to behave like Jesus, we come in the opposite spirit to the world and society around us. If it's selfish, we're selfless. When there's anger, bring peace. When there's fear, bring love. When there's pain, bring care. When there's greed, bring generosity. When you do that, you know what you're doing? You're negating the power of that spirit. And not only are you doing it for your benefit, you're doing it for the benefit of everyone around you. So your family get blessed. Your neighbors get blessed. People around you get blessed. It has a knock-on effect of all this stuff. It includes everything in your life. Who's your, your presence. We live in a world of absence. We live in a world where death rules. Death is absence. So bring your presence because where you are, there's life. Are you with me? Be present. Be present. Be there for people. Really listen. If you ask someone how they're doing and they want to tell you, <laughs> listen. Mostly we want to say, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm all right. It's just a platitude, isn't it? It's just a... Just a, a social greeting, isn't it? How are you doing? But what about if someone says, I'm messed right up. I don't know what's going on. I feel like killing myself. What are you going to do? Oh, oh, sorry. I'll catch you later. That's not coming in the opposite spirit. That's adding to it. So we have to be present. Be available. The spirit of this age just wants you to do you. Keep all your good stuff to yourself. But you've got gifts and talents and you've got stuff that could be a massive help to your community. Well, all I do is nails. That might be a massive thing to someone. Well, I'm an hairdresser. How can I help out my community spiritually? Cut someone's hair. Are you with me? And then there's your substance. 
You know, it's naive for Christians to think that giving money to non-Christian charities, but not to your church, has the same result spiritually. There are Christians that say, I don't, like, I don't believe in tithing, I don't believe in giving, I don't believe in that, but I give to the dog's home instead. Okay. Next time your dog gets up and starts prophesying over you, <laughs> next time you're sick and the dog comes and lays paws on you and prays for your healing, <laughs> praise the Lord, next time the dog dedicates your child, <laughs> baptizes your teenager, Next time the dog is standing there, when you come up to say, I do, you come down the aisle, dun, 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 and there's a Labrador standing there. <laughs> Big German shepherd on the keyboards. Leading you into the presence of God. Then do that. Hallelujah. Number five, last one, and this is key, and then we're going to pray and the worship team's going to come back and we're going to pray and we're going to seek God and we're going to see what he does. All of that, love God, love others, be real, be yourself and be for real. Try to live in the opposite spirit to those around you. Number five, understand this, you can only live a holy life through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Anything else is dead religion. If you don't have a relationship with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is not a part of your reality, then it's dead religion. It means nothing. It's lacking. It's going to be frustrating. It's like having a car. It's like having a Lamborghini with no juice in it. No oil in the tank. No, no wheels. You've got the shell of it, but you can't do what it needs to be done with it. You want to get in a Lamborghini, you want to put your, your foot down, you want to hear it pop. You want people to look around going, my goodness, my, my soul just escaped my body for a minute. What is that? <laughs> right? You don't just want to sit in it like... And some people, man, they come to church and they expect to be able to get by without the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit wants to be in your life. He wants to be in your home. He wants to be around you. He wants to surround you. He wants to fill you. He wants to encourage you. He wants to lift you. He wants to empower you. He wants to comfort you and teach you. He's real. He's a person. He's God. Some people can't get their heads around this. The Trinity. The Trinity is not even in the Bible. No, it's not. It's a concept. It's a concept. You don't find the Shahada of the Muslims in the Quran. But they still do it, and you have to do it to become a Muslim. Right? It's in the Hadiths, it's in the commentaries. It's, not, it's a concept. Let's get that right. Secondly, well, well, how, can you, how can it be one God and three? What, what is that? Are they different? They like different people. The best, the best, the best description, the best explanation I've ever found for the Trinity of God is this. And it's not a, it's not one of them, you know, them pictures, you know, like, a, like an illustration of an egg or, 
you know, water and ice and steam and all that. Because that's just an illustration. But you have to, illustrations are only good if you've already got a definition. Otherwise, illustration's worthless. So what's the definition? Best one I've come up with. Come up with. That God is one in being. Three in persons. Well, where does that work? Isn't that not a contradiction? No. If he was one in being and three in uh, beings, that would be a contradiction. Right? If he was one in person and three in person, that would be a contradiction. He's one in essence. He's one in being. Well, how do you explain? I still can't get my head around it. All right. Real quick, because I felt a confusion in the house. Humanity. How many humans do we have in the house? Let's check you out. Lift up your hand. Give me a high five if you're a human. Some of you ain't got your hands up. Amen. There's some robots, androids, Nephilim in the house. Who knows? <laughs> We're human beings. We're part of the human race. Yes or no? We're one in being. But there's eight billion of us in persons. No one complains about that. Oh, yeah, all right, yeah. We're not eight billion in being. There's not eight billion individual beings, is there? Of different, you know, races. We're all the same, in essence. But there's different ones of us that have different roles. We're unique in our role and in our ways. That's why when Jesus said, the Father is greater than I, doesn't mean that God the Father is is God and Jesus ain't God. It means that in role, God the Father plays a different role than Jesus in certain things. I was preaching in Swindon the other week and we had the mayor there, Bangladeshi mayor, lovely guy. Listened to the whole sermon, commented on it, said it was really good. And I used him as an illustration. I said, me and the mayor are human beings. We're the same in being. But in Swindon, he's the mayor. So the mayor is greater than I in certain areas. If I go to the council offices, he's going to be greater than I. He has a different role. You come to my church, and God bless you, sit down. Because I'm greater than you. <laughs> Simply about the role. And the Holy Spirit is the one that the Father and the Son sent to be with us on earth. Right here, right now. And he can be with every single one of us in the same way at the same time. People say all the time, oh, if only I'd have lived when Jesus was alive, I'd have had a better grip on my salvation. No, you wouldn't. You wouldn't. You really wouldn't. Because when he was crucified, all his disciples cut out. There was only one there. But the Holy Spirit... He's not limited by, by time or space or distance. The Holy Spirit can be with you at the same time as me in the same way. Because he's God. And he's not limited in the way that we're limited. He can comfort you and he can challenge me and he can lift you at the same time that he's holding you down. And stopping you from making a mistake. He does it all because 
He loves us. He's real. He wants to know us. He wants to be with you. You can't get born again unless the Spirit of God lives inside of you. And there's a transition that takes place from your old nature to God's new nature. You can't do anything spiritual without the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit has been someone that we have not really taken. We've taken Him for granted for too long in the church. And I believe that in these, today, these coming days, these coming weeks, these coming months, that we need to get reacquainted with the Holy Spirit. We need to let the Holy Spirit be who He is in our lives. Does that mean I've got to make tree shapes in worship? No, only if you're stupid like that. Does that mean I have to bark like a dog? Because I've heard that's what happens when the Holy Spirit comes. Listen, if you bark like a dog, the security will take you out for a walk. It's not about that. It's about becoming more like Jesus. And he gives you the power. He puts the fuel in. He wants to be with you. He's the one that crushes the heads of the, of the serpents. He's the one that comes and brings the Word of God alive to you and makes it personal to you. So that sword stabs into Leviathan and deals with that horrible spirit. He's the one. That's going to make your life the best life that you could ever have. Would you stand with me? Lift up your hands. Lift up your hearts just for a moment. Holy Spirit is the one that brings about repentance. Repentance is just a change in your thinking. That's what it means. It means that you think your way, you think the way around you, but all of a sudden the Holy Spirit comes and convicts you of sin and judgment and righteousness and you start going, you know what, I don't want to live my way, I don't want to live my life, look at where it got me. But I'm changing the way I think about Jesus. And maybe, maybe he can be my, my saviour. Maybe he'd be my Lord. Maybe he'd be my guide. Maybe he'd be my protector and provider, maybe today is a day of salvation for someone. And maybe you're already saved, but maybe you leaked a little bit. Maybe there was a trauma. Maybe there was some loss. Maybe there was some sin. Maybe there was some rejection. Maybe something happened that wounded you and winded you, and all of a sudden, <sighs> today, God wants to heal you. So he can fill you. So you're not leaking out everywhere, but that you're filled. Because when God's people are filled and retaining everything God gives them, he don't stop pouring. And what happens is you get filled and your life gets blessed, but the overflow starts pouring out. And people around you start getting blessed. And you're not lacking. Because God won't let you lack. He wants people to be blessed with your overflow. Spirit of God wants to come and so live in your life that everyone around you just feels better being in your presence. Imagine that. Imagine going into a place and everyone's relieved that you're there. Imagine going into a drama or a crisis and everyone goes, even in work, in your family. I don't know about you, but we've had a lot of this take place. The people that were the worst, the people that were the biggest problem in the family, when Jesus comes into their life, all of a sudden, when there's a crisis in their family, everyone wants them to be there. Because they're the peacemaker instead of the peacetaker. They're the, they're the one that comes and brings life where there was death. They're the one that brings hope where there was hopelessness. 
It's the power of God. The power of God. And he wants to, he wants to, he wants to get you on his side. He wants to begin to change you and shift you and take you forward to where it is that he wants you to be. And that process of sanctification, the theological term, sanctification, being set apart, being made new, coming closer to God, that's actually living your best life. That's it. That's it. It's not just reaching a destination. It's living the destiny. Father, I pray right now in, in this place, in your presence, oh God. Lord, that you would, in this time when the whole nation is mourning the death of one, one woman who stood in a place of leadership when no other women were standing in that place 70 years ago, who lived a life of service. And everyone's remembering her life and everyone is thinking about who she is and the impact she made. My God, we honour her, but Lord, we worship you. We honour the Queen. We honour the King. But we worship God. And there is one King above every King and His name is Jesus. And Lord, we give you the glory today. May every one of our hearts and minds, may our eyes, may our life, may our actions... Be tuned to you. Turn to you and tuned in to you. Holy Spirit, would you then come? Would you come right now, Holy Spirit, across this place? And my God, would you begin to speak to our hearts and our minds? Would you lift us beyond the rubble of our pasts? Would you lift us beyond the anxiety and the circumstances of our presence? Would you lift us to know and understand that you are above that, you are beyond that, and our lives are found in you, our lives are held in your hands. Yes, Lord. Just let Him touch you right now, let Him feel you right now. We're going to, we're going to sing a worship song. And as we sing, this is what I challenge you to do. I want to ask you to do. I want to invite you to do as well. Because it's a beautiful thing when we, we come and worship together in community. If you sense that the Lord has been speaking to you in any way, and you want to respond to that. I'm inviting you to come and stand here with us. Just come and stand in this space as we worship the Lord. You might say, well, why can't I just stay where I'm at? You can. You can stay where you're at. But sometimes there's a power in coming to be with everyone else who's responding in the same way. Something multiplies in that. It's a beautiful thing. So I'm not saying you have to. I'm saying if you want to respond to what God's been speaking to you today, as we worship, just come and stand here. Stand together. Lift up your hands and begin to worship Him. Come on, just come out. If you're new and you feel weird in that, it's cool. You can stay where you're at. There's no drama, there's no judgment. But if you fancy it, just come and join in with us. We're just going to worship Him a little bit. Victory Outreach Manchester is a family in the city and we are here for you. Visit us every Sunday in person at the church building or live on Facebook and YouTube at 10am. Go to our website, vomanchester.org.uk for more information.